gentlemen, after 12 rounds, we go to the judges' scorecards. Victor Vesjenko scores it, 117 to 112. Steve Weisfeld has it, 116 to 112. And Howard Foster scores it, 115 to 113. All three scores go to the winner by unanimous decision. And new I think it would be easy at this point to rip into Anthony Joshua and I did a previous episode actually and I'll probably release that after this one where it was quite a brutal hatchet job and I really stuck it to him and I guess it was the culmination of you know months and not even years but just ages of having to sit there and listen to, to him and her and still selling the same nonsense that that turned the fans off during and after the Ruiz fight. And it hasn't changed and it doesn't seem that they had learned anything. So there was, I, I, I did a hatchet episode and I put it out there. It's not, it's not great. I guess it's, it's heart overhead. But you always have to start an episode like this and just say, Alexander Usyk, take a bow, my friend. Please stand up and take a bow. Because I don't believe Usyk did anything other than handle his business. For all the talk in the build-up to the fight about guys being magicians and sorcerers and doing the impossible, Usyk beat Anthony Joshua by ticking the three boxes I say are key for any fight. He controlled the psychology of the fight, he controlled the geography of the fight, and he controlled the geometry of the fight. And if you break those down and you look at it psychologically, within 15 seconds he was there with a straight left and he let Joshua know, I can land this anytime I want to. And by the end of that first round, what he said to AJ was, see the straight left here, it can go through your guard, it can come up through your guard, and it can go around your guard. You better have your defences on point today. And just when I've got you thinking about that, the right hook's going to come. So Anthony Joshua, for 12 rounds, you're going to have to concentrate in a way that you've never had to before. And he, he forced Joshua to behave in a way that he should have been ready for because Ruiz did it to him. But I don't think Ruiz was as systematic. I think with Andy Ruiz, it was more having balls of steel and being brave enough to have a go against a big monster. Whereas I think with Usyk, this was more of a dissection. And you can see that in the fight, because if you look at the geography of the ring, Usyk took the middle when he wanted, and he found comfort in the perimeter of the ring when he wanted. At no point did Joshua determine where that fight happened. There were a couple of rounds where he tried to force the issue, but as I've said so many times in the build-up to this, that right arm was a problem. Because normally Anthony Joshua's free-flowing with his punches, and that's what makes him scary, is the fact that the punches come in twos, threes, and fours. 
And it's easy to say, ah, Usyk just didn't let him get his right hand off. I don't think that's true. There was something wrong with that right arm. And Joshua fought one-handed. And if you go back and look at the build-up, it was almost as if he was resigned to having to exercise the rematch clause. Like he knew already that he couldn't be 100%. But we shouldn't make excuses because what Usyk was able to do in those first couple of rounds was set the psychological and the, the technical tone for the fight. And he wasn't allowing himself to be bullied. Whenever Joshua would come into him, Usyk dropped his hips, made sure he had a firm base, and would let Joshua know there will be some resistance. Tonight there will be some resistance. And that enabled Usyk to take control of the middle of the ring when he needed to. Yes, the movement's amazing, but it's not, it's not sorcery. The things Usyk does are so basic... But he's excellent with his basics. And this is for all the people who do the, the Mayweather pads and the, the silly little drills and all these little clownish combinations that you see on Instagram and YouTube. Nothing beats the basics. If your basics aren't 10 out of 10, there's no point in trying anything else. And by that, by that, by that tone, you ended up looking at Usyk and saying, here's a guy who knows how to box. Look at where he puts his feet. He's always in a position to escape. And it gave me those feelings of watching like a Chris Bird versus a David Tua. And you're saying to yourself, how is this even competitive considering what a wrecking machine Tua was meant to be at the time? But it was that Chris Bird was able to find his exits and manage the geometry and the geography of the fight, which in turn helped to manage the psychology of the fight. And that's what Usyk did. Those first four rounds, I always thought it was key against Joshua. If you can win the first four rounds, he's got a chase. He's not a good chaser. Because he only has two modes when he chases, right? It's he either retreats into a shell, or he just comes out kamikaze going, I mean, I might get knocked out, but you might get knocked out. Let's have some fun. But there wasn't even that version of Joshua. And we haven't seen that version of Joshua since Klitschko. Now, have we seen the best of Anthony Joshua? I think we have. All this talk of he's still learning on the job, is, it's a myth. It's a myth. He's not learning on the job because he doesn't apply anything that he learns. Andy Ruiz, what happened? He followed Ruiz about. That's how he got dropped. He followed him about. He was reckless with his defense. And he showed he didn't have the stomach for the fight. And Ruiz showed that he did. And as soon as Usyk showed he had the stomach for the fight, as soon as Usyk showed, and, and look, Usyk was battered after that fight. Both eyes, he was cut. Usyk absorbed some heavy leather in that fight. But what Usyk said was, I'm not scared of you. Your power doesn't scare me. Your speed doesn't scare me. Your size doesn't scare me. You're going to have to be a better boxer than me. You're going to have to be a tougher man than me. And very early on in that fight, he said to Anthony Joshua, can you be that? And Joshua just couldn't find it consistently. Was it a one-sided beating? No. No, that wasn't a one-sided beating. That was a, that was a competitive fight. Now, I think there were four rounds that Usyk dominated. But I think the rest of the rounds were kind of nip and tuck. With Usyk being in control. 
But Joshua was never more than a couple of really hard combinations away from being a factor in that round. And so, you look and you go, there's so much to love about Joshua. But there's also so much to, to look at and shake your head and go, he can't be that stupid. He can't be that stupid. He can't be so stupid that these lessons don't sink in. And I think the tone of the conversations after the fight, if you look at McCracken, if you look at Joshua, it's as if they were saying, I told you so, Anthony. Now, I don't know what that comes from. Does it come from some of the choices in the team? Does it come from maybe the way he was training in camp? Hard to say. Little things come up, but nothing was really coming out saying Joshua's taking this lightly, that Joshua's not fully invested in the process. But something wasn't there. And that thing that wasn't there was what I call the true giant syndrome. There are big men and there are big men, as we all know, right? So there are guys like Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury that when they walk into the room, you know exactly who they are and you know that they're there. And if someone of equal size walks in there, they have no problem standing up and challenging them. They're big guys with dominant personalities and dominant mindsets. And Anthony Joshua isn't that. So Anthony Joshua can look good against guys who have seen better days like Takam, Povetkin and Pulev. He can look good against guys like that. But when he had guys who had that spirit, that warrior spirit in them, guys like Joseph Parker, struggled. Even with Takam, he struggled. He struggled with Ruiz and he struggled with Usyk. I was watching the fight last night and I thought, what would someone like Amir Mansour, a prime Amir Mansour, what would he have done to Joshua? What would he have done? He would have taken his head clean off his shoulders. Not because he's bigger or he's stronger, far from it, but because he's just a hard man. And those are the sorts of people who scare Anthony Joshua because he can never get to their level. Go back to the Ruiz rematch where we all thought Joshua would come in and put a stop to it and come, come in and just go after Andy Ruiz, much like Ariola did. Ariola's not better than Anthony Joshua. But Ariola is, he's one tough man, and we know that. We've, we've followed his career. He's one tough man. And that's what you need at this level, and I don't think Anthony Joshua's got that. It's easy to dismiss what Usyk did as, it's just the work of a genius. Here's someone who's a one-off, and you know you can't read what he does. And I, I don't think any of that's true. What I like about Usyk is, He's mastered the art of punching from any position. People say, oh, he throws from unusual angles. No, he doesn't. <laughs> what he doesn't have is that fish and chip mentality of make sure my feet are anchored into the ground, that I'm bolt upright, and then I can punch. And I see this in British boxers all the time, and you've heard me complain about this on the podcast. A lot of these guys, even the guys who think they're slick, they're just fish and chip boxers, and it gets you a British title, it gets you an English title. It's never going to get you anything more. I think the only guy that's going to get away with that fish and chip style is Joe Joyce, but Joe's not human. 
You know, he's, he's a legit big man who, despite all the, the softly spoken stuff that comes out of his mouth, he loves to take heads off. That's what he loves to do. So when you look at what Usyk does, he's just able to punch from any position. And what that means is he can maximize every opportunity. There were times where he was just flicking the backhand up because he could see that Joshua was, was trying to slap it down. So he'd faint it once and then he'd just come over the top. Bam! Now this isn't someone that Team Joshua didn't know. McCracken already had to devise a plan for Joe Joyce to deal with Usyk. And it's, it, it's an identical Usyk. More experienced, more savvy, agreed, but it's an identical Usyk. And McCracken couldn't come up with a plan. Or maybe he could, and it wasn't stuck to. Maybe someone else in the camp had Joshua's ear and had better ideas. And that's one of the themes we need to explore. Is there, is there that slow rot within Team Joshua? Because I always worry when people are doing all these pictures and there's like, like 101 people in a picture waving, smiling, grinning. Because I'm just thinking, I know boxing well enough to understand these guys aren't all adding value. What do you need them for? They're all happy to be there because they're all up in the pictures and they can approach women and say, look, I know Anthony Joshua. They can do all of that stuff. You know, it's sort of like Charlie Murphy syndrome, isn't it? But if we strip it all back, Joshua's not an intelligent boxer. And he talks about all of this, I started when I was 18, but you've had 13 or 14 years now to understand how the sport works. You've had over a decade to figure out how the sport works. You've had three years warning that you're going to have to fight Usyk at some point. You're smart enough to avoid Luis Ortiz because you knew what would happen with Luis Ortiz. Had Ortiz been in there yesterday? I don't think Joshua sees the final bell. Because, come back to basics. Joshua doesn't seem to be able to take a punch. The stamina is kind of there, but the, the raw strength isn't there. Because if I asked you, who performed better? Derek Chisora or Anthony Joshua? You'd say Derek Chisora did. And what did Derek do? Derek kept punching. And Derek was tough enough to take Usyk's best shots and come back. And Derek's another guy who just throws punches from anywhere. And that earned Usyk's respect. I'm not surprised that Usyk in the post-fight interview said this wasn't one of his hardest fights ever. Of course it wasn't. He's had harder fights. And that's the sad thing about Joshua. Not Ruiz, not Usyk, none of them have said, this was my hardest fight, I had to dig really deep to win this. What they say is, listen, once I turned it up on him, nothing came back. Why? That's the question. Why, after all of the talk, all the Gary Neville interviews, all the Under Armour commercials, all of this... You know, don't let the losses hurt you, don't let the win, whatever. All of that stuff that comes out of Joshua's camp. He doesn't display a champion's mindset when it's needed. 
doesn't. I don't believe he has it. I think everything in his career up until this point has been manufactured. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. This felt a lot more like a business school project. Can we create a brand in boxing that can generate exponential growth? And the answer to that is yes, because a lot of the boxing fans fell for it. Because they don't know any better. But those who knew, knew that it was a matter of time before he started to get exposed. Because... For all of this talk of the rapid rise to the Olympics, people forget in the amateurs, Dillian showed that Joshua doesn't have a champion's mindset. Domak and Lardy showed he doesn't have a champion's mindset. This was in the amateurs. And then in the world championships, the short, stocky guy showed he doesn't have a champion's mindset. Eroslandi Savon showed he doesn't have a champion's mindset. Roberto Camarelli showed he doesn't have a champion's mindset. There are too many names so far. Ruiz, add that to the list. Add Takam to the list. Now add Usyk to that list. All of these guys who have shown that Anthony Joshua doesn't have a champion's mindset. That glory is manufactured. And I respect that. The ability he has to transform his life. What he's done in the last few years. You know... I'm sure further down the line, 3,000 years from now, when, when, when they start writing their version of the Bible, this will be one of those stories. A big guy who should have been a bouncer, or maybe a, an underworld enforcer, ended up being a multimillionaire, educating himself, taking his family out of poverty and creating generational wealth. They'll call that a miracle. And it is a miracle. But we're boxing fans. And as boxing fans, what we want to see is a champion. We want to see the champion mindset. But it only has value when it's done under pressure. Courage under fire is what we want to see. And I don't think we saw that with Joshua. I think Joshua was just happy to make the 12. That's the saddening bit about this. Joshua was just happy to make the 12. No champion should ever feel that way. And definitely not in the heavyweights. But, you know... Everyone listening to this as a boxing fan, you, you'll be dissecting this and you'll be asking the same question. How has it gone wrong again? How the hell are we right back where we were, what was it, two and a half years ago? How are we back in that same place? How? And if you've ever listened to me in the podcast, I have a real belief in an expression that goes, the end is always in the beginning. So the, the seeds for the defeat were sown after the first Ruiz loss. If you remember what everyone was saying, they were saying AJ was straight back in the gym on Monday. My first question was, what was he doing in the gym on the Monday that he wasn't doing on the Saturday? Like, what is it? Like, like you suddenly realize what you were meant to do against Ruiz and you went and did it on the Monday. Why are you straight back in there on that Monday? That doesn't make any sense. It defies all logic. And what that pointed to was someone who was deluded, who just thought, well, actually, it wasn't that the other guy was better than me. It was just that I didn't perform. But against Usyk, Usyk was better than you. You get the impression there's more that Usyk could do to you in the rematch than you could do to him. Don't get sucked into this, he's bigger and stronger. There's more. I promise to God there is more that Usyk can do to Joshua. Than Joshua can do to Usyk in the rematch. 
if Usyk's really about that glory and that legacy, he could really make sure the fight doesn't go seven rounds. I don't know if Joshua can anymore. So if we go back to that period, and they told us all of this stuff, they went back and was straight back in the gym, trust the process, all of this rubbish. And then they did the thing that you should never do in boxing. They turned one voice in the corner into three. After the Ruiz fight, McCracken should have gone. I'm, I'm not going to get into the, the whys and the hows that he didn't go. McCracken should have gone. The McCracken approach doesn't work if you've got a chin like Joshua's. Rob McCracken works if you're Carl Froch. Rob McCracken works if you're Howard Eastman. Because those guys can take 50 to give 49. Those are brutally hard men. Whatever you think about Carl Froch, Carl Froch is a hard man. Howard Eastman's as hard as they come. McCracken need do nothing more with those guys and make them strong and make them fit. That's his sweet spot. Fitness, strength and discipline are what McCracken's about. It's why he's done well with GB. Because he's introduced things that most amateur coaches struggle with. But Joshua didn't need that. If you, if you really study Joshua, Joshua wants to be this intelligent boxer. His default thing is, there's, there's a lot more I can do as a boxer than I'm currently doing. And he's probably right. He probably watches guys like Bob Foster and goes, why can't I do that? Because you don't have the people around you. So McCracken should have gone. But instead of McCracken going, you add two additional voices, Angel and Joby. And they both come with that Cuban influence, which I don't believe works in professional boxing. I don't believe there's any value. And I debate this point with anyone at any time. If you've got any of that Cuban stuff going on in your camp, get rid of it. It doesn't work. Okay? It doesn't work. It's why Mayweather never sought out a Cuban. It's why Pacquiao never sought out a Cuban. It's why James Tony never sought out a Cuban. It's why Roy Jones Jr. never sought out a Cuban. The Cuban stuff doesn't work. People fall in love with it. Because it's romantic, isn't it? It's like, oh my God, I can combine a bit of salsa with my boxing. No, you can't. Not at the top level. You really can't. Even all that stuff Lomachenko used to say, like folk dancing and stuff. Those, that's all for the media. Boxing's a really simple sport. You need to learn how to beat the crap out of someone. In the amateurs, yeah, okay, you get your work rate and you get your your ability to, to let your hands go and stuff. You learn to be in and out. But in the pros, all that stuff goes out the window. And that's when your Cuban stuff starts to fall apart. So when you've got two guys in your camp who you haven't picked based on achievement, and that's no disrespect to them. Angel can go on to become a great trainer. Joby can go on to become a great trainer. They don't have CVs that would impress you right now. Not at the elite level, no. So Joshua didn't go out and seek out an elite level mind. Now, was that because McCracken said, if you get someone like that in, I'm off? I don't know. But they didn't invest in quality. And it's the same with, like, when I look at Dillian's camp, I think Xavier Miller will go on to become one of our better trainers in this country. I think he will be one of our leading trainers. He's got the mindset, the work ethic. He hasn't got the experience. And so when you say, what am I benchmarking that against? I'm benchmarking that against Freddie Roach. I'm benchmarking that against Papa Lomachenko. 
there are levels to this coaching thing. You can't just be a guy who can wrap hands and all of a sudden you're a trainer. Like, it's ridiculous. And, and this is happening a lot in this country. Guys are just picking people. Basically, guys, they're just picking guys in a gym who can hold pads and say, you're my trainer. And these guys have just, they, they've hit the lottery because they're like, oh my God, I'm someone's trainer. I've got my British board license. But really, all you are is the guy that's seen pad routines. You've written them down and now you're just parroting them off. You don't know how to get your guy out of harm's way. You won't know how to get your guy, I mean, out of that place they call hell. That comes with experience. That comes with getting it wrong a few times. So when you look at those choices that Joshua makes, it didn't need Angel and Joby. I think it needed one or the other of those guys, but it needed someone super experienced. Someone who understood how to work with big men. Look, Tyson did it with Sugar Hill. Deontay's doing it with Malik Scott. Joshua could have done with someone like Malik Scott. That's who he should have been looking at. Get someone in who understands how to box in different ways as a heavyweight. And I think Joshua would have been better for it. And I need to be clear again. I'm not saying Angel Fernandez is a bad trainer. I like Angel. I think Angel's a good man. I think he's trying to do the right things. But he hasn't got the, the depth of experience that someone like AJ needs at the stage in his career. Joby Clayton, we haven't seen it. Like we, we make reference to the Ben Whitaker work. Yeah, 100%. That stuff all looks good. And he probably should have got the gold in the Olympic final. But Ben Whitaker can't box like that as a pro. He won't go far. No one's going to let him run around and, you know, no one's going to let him be that flashy. No one is. This is just the nature of pro boxing, especially as you move up the levels. So then we roll it back and we look at AJ and we go, so, number one, you, you went back to the gym on the Monday and we don't know what you were doing because it can't be what you were doing on Saturday because that was redundant. And it shouldn't be what you should have done on Saturday because the question is, why are you doing it on Monday, not Saturday? That suggests to me that you're not a big game player. The second thing is keeping those same hangers on around. Like, it just seems to get bigger. It doesn't seem that that team's delivered for him in the way that they needed to. So every year, the, the, the final picture of camp gets bigger. They get this specialist and that specialist and this. And, and all they do is they add complexity when they should be looking for simplicity and quality. They've added complexity to Team Joshua. The EIS, training at Finchley, stuff that I don't agree with. And here's why I don't agree with it. You are already the best version of yourself you could be at Finchley. There's nothing new they can add to you. And if they can, then they failed you as an amateur. It's the same with the GB setup. You're training with amateurs. Why doesn't Anthony Joshua have his own gym? Wouldn't you do that? You're the biggest boxing star in this country right now. You have the money. Have your gym. And all you do is you put the call out. All big guys that want work, be here at this day and this time and we all work. That's how you learn. That, that hunger. You know, you, you shouldn't have to be shipping in 300 sparring partners. There's enough talent in this country for Joshua to, to be tested. Why isn't that happening? You know, all that stuff at Finchley never worked for me. Just like if it, it would be like David Hay going back to Fitzroy Lodge to train. It doesn't make any sense. 
you've already, you've done that. You completed that level. Why are you going backwards? And so there's a lot of stuff I think that's wrong with Joshua. And what it's done is it's created this complacent mindset because he knows he can do what he wants in Sheffield. He knows it's a controlled environment that he controls. Where's the discomfort? You can talk about, oh, he has to sleep on a single bed in a student village or whatever. Fine. But where's the real discomfort? Who are the people taking him to the line? Who are the people forcing him to question himself? Who are the people who are like, AJ, what you're doing is not good enough. Find another level. Who's doing that? Versus who's scared of losing that status? Who's scared of losing that money? Who's scared of being one of the 155 people in the picture at the end of camp? Too many hangers-on. Too many people around him that don't add value. Because he fell into the idea that you need complexity, when in reality you need simplicity. You don't need that many people around you. It's expensive. And it's draining. And Joshua looks like a guy who's drained. And I don't know if anyone was watching the build-up to the fight, but when they did the fighters' press conference, Joshua genuinely looked like he didn't want to be there. He looked like he was just... He was just mailing it in. It looked like he was just punching the clock. Really banal answers to the questions. Usyk carried that builder because Usyk was entertaining. Usyk was the guy that brought that entertainment. It looked like Joshua didn't believe in himself. And I felt this for a while, that he doesn't believe he's top tier. But the, the, the scary thing is he could be. But he's not brave enough to to make the right calls. Change your trainer. Change how you train. As an aside, you know, I'm hearing that AJ couldn't see out of his eye from round nine onwards. And my attitude is, why, do, why haven't you ever, why haven't you prepared for that? And before anyone says, yes, I've had boxers sparring with an eye patch. Because we needed to find out what can you see if just your left eye works or what can you see if just your right eye works. I've done that before. It wasn't life or death sparring. No, of course not, because you've got to keep it safe when you're trying to figure stuff out. But we've done that. And so you work out, actually, if, if your left eye goes, this is what you do. If your right eye goes, this is what you do. Like, even Billy Joe talked about it. Oh, Canelo's done my eye, and I'll just go orthodox for a bit, see if I can do anything from that position. There was none of that in the corner. Round after round... Robert McCracken was saying, jab, like he says in every fight, just keep jabbing and the backhand will be there. And you're like, but he can't throw his backhand. We already know that. So, so what backhand are you talking about? Where, where's, the, where's the explanation of why you're getting hit? Where's the breakdown of what you need to do? Where was, where was McCracken being honest going, <laughs> We're in round 10 now. You're going to have to dominate these final rounds to see this fight through. Because I heard they had, they had Josh up on the scorecards after eight. So you know the fix was in. But McCracken doesn't have anything in his locker. Outside of being fit, being strong and being disciplined. He doesn't have anything else in his locker. And it's like Joshua doesn't realize this. Maybe he does. I don't know. But I don't think McCracken can offer more. And it's telling that Carl Froch doesn't talk about McCracken in those glowing terms. He doesn't say, 
maybe Aja didn't do what Rob said. I think Foch now realizes McCracken can't deliver for Aja. Like, and maybe Carl now looks and goes, most of my success was down to me, being self-directed, being driven, and having a hell of a chin. But yeah, it's the, yeah McCracken, it's McCracken because as much as people talk about he's this calm, wise old man, he never projects any form of intensity. He doesn't seem to have a will to win. He seems like one of those attritional characters who, who's good because he refuses to lose as opposed to wanting to win. And you saw that in the fight week. Joshua was flat. Usyk was a star. Joshua was quite deferential to the Ukrainians, which is always a, a bad sign for me. And then that selfie when they were doing the, the ring gloves is great for matchroom content. Great for Eddie Hearn going, look, we're giving you a glimpse into things you'd never seen before. I didn't want to see that. I didn't want to see that. And I, I said it at the time, like when you start doing that, you may as well just hand him the belts like you did Ruiz. Because psychologically what Usyk said is, I've got you. I've got you. Because Joshua looked like he was enjoying the moment. Usyk looked like he was just suckering him in. And so that whole week, you've got Joshua clowning around. And then the ring walk. Running down to the ring like he's the ultimate warrior. Why? Going back in and giving Johnny Oliver and his, his wife, like, why? I get that they're important in your life and your career, but just fight night, man. Now, Usyk wasn't doing anything like that. He wasn't giving any, none of his energy went on anything other than the fight. And Joshua was just there playing to the audience, clowning around. You know, it's like he was doing stuff for posterity. Like, oh, once I beat Usyk, people look at this as the greatest ring walk ever. And I think that's what Joshua wants. He doesn't admit it publicly, but he wants all of that glory without having to do it in the ring. And I think the British fans are close to giving him that glory, that glory that he hasn't earned. Because I think the British fans are so desperate for a hero, they'll forgive Joshua anything. We're, we're like an abused partner in a relationship. We believe we deserve the abuse. The abuse makes sense to us. And so we carry on with it when we should have left a long time ago. We should have checked out this Joshua project after the Ruiz loss, because that was when it really finished. So all you fans out there, you got to ask yourself, you want to go through this again? You probably do, because as, Brit as British fans, we forget things. Now, the same people cheering Joshua the, last night, whenever it was, were the same people saying that they wouldn't buy his pay-per-views after he made that speech during Black Lives Matter. How quickly things are forgotten. That's one of the problems. As long as you keep supporting this nonsense, it carries on. But we digress. Let's come back to, to how, it was, how this has been lost. So in that fight week, Joshua's so deferential that you're like, what? You don't want to take this guy's head off? Nothing in Joshua's body language suggested this was anything other than a job. His career wasn't on the line. His legacy wasn't on the line. There's nothing burning in Joshua in fight week. And you saw that in the fight. Nothing burnt in him. Nothing burnt within McCracken. That tells you that team's rotten to the core. Just rotten 
But it just looked like two men who were out of their depth facing a team in Team Usyk that was comfortable at that level. Were comfortable. Knew they'd see it out. I think that Bellew fight made them comfortable with the UK and how Matcham do things. So there was no nervousness there. But I think Joshua just gets nerves. I don't... I don't think Joshua's at that level. I think he keeps the people he keeps around him because he knows they're too close to him to let anything leak out. But there are things that are wrong in that camp. And it's only going to get worse for him because he's not getting any younger. That body's more fatigued. It's more banged up. He's sustaining these injuries now, which happens to everyone. It happened to Wilder around the stage. It happens to Fury. But if I look at it and I break it down, I just say you had a fighter that didn't have a clue because his trainer doesn't have a clue. But McCracken and Eddie were both alluding to the fact that things need to be better, things need to be different. I don't know if it's for the same reasons, but it looks like McCracken saying it should just be me in charge. I should be doing all the training again like I used to. That's when Joshua was at his best. Maybe. A lot of people say he was better with Tony Sims. I can see that, but that's relatively speaking. If, if AJ wants to be the fish and chip type boxer, then yeah, of course. But if he wants to have wrinkles and be able to make decisions in the ring, I don't think you go to Tony Sims. I don't know where you go. You got to find someone. Because what you've got in your camp right now isn't good enough. And Hearn and McCracken were alluding to that. Things need to change in this camp. Now, what that means, I don't know. Does that mean McCracken goes? Is, is Hearn saying McCracken needs to go? Is McCracken saying Angel and Joby need to go? I don't know. But there isn't harmony in that camp. And that was a fight that pointed to that. You know, we haven't even touched on the fact that McCracken was at the Olympics at that crucial time in camp. I think that's unforgivable. And I think now someone has to say to Rob McCracken, you're either Team GB or Team Joshua. You can't be both. It's not working anymore. Because how long were they out there? Two and a half weeks, three weeks? And then there's a week before to manage the logistics and there's a week after with jet lag. So that's a minimum of five weeks. Never mind, never mind having to supervise the training and so on and so forth. So when are you working with AJ? When he's down in Finchley doing whatever he wants. When are you getting the quality time? It's, it all looks wrong. You don't have that with Usyk. Pause for a second and reflect on this point, right? Here's the most powerful thing to have come out of this whole sorry experience. When they ask Anthony Joshua what he's going to do next, I'm going to get straight back in the gym, straight back on the process. No talk about we'll do a post-mortem, we'll, we'll analyze, we'll look for ways to improve. We'll just trust the process. It didn't work this time, but it will work next time. Delusion of the highest order, right? The same question to Alexander Usyk, and he said, I want to see my family. I want to plant some trees. I want to go and be human again. I want to go and be normal again. That tells you how deep he had to dig for that performance. The isolation and having to train hard and put it all on the line in camp. Because all he wanted to do was see his wife and kids. I know Bellew says that a lot, but Bellew had the same problem, right? Fully immerse themselves in the camp. 
for Joshua to say I'm going straight back into the gym, not I'm going to spend time with my friends and spend time with my family. I'm, it points to two people with two different approaches to success. Maybe Joshua's trying to have his cake and eat it. Maybe Joshua should be more like Usyk. Maybe that's what we wanted to hear from AJ. Guys, all I want to do is be with my family, be with my friends, maybe play football, ride a motocross bike. Because you should be making those sacrifices in camp. So what sacrifices is AJ making in camp? We know what Usyk is, he sacrifices family. What sacrifices did AJ make in camp? None. So how are you going to be hungry? Where's your intensity coming from if you haven't made any sacrifices? That's the point I want to leave you guys on. You had two men at the end of that fight and one just wanted to go back to his family and the other one wanted to go back to the gym. You tell me who put the sacrifices in. I think that's a good point to sign off, guys. So have a good week as always. If you enjoyed this episode, like it, share it. And if I've missed anything, feel free to carry the discussion on Twitter. You know where I am. You take care. Bye. good husband you know what I mean what you know what I mean? I'm just a man out here trying to enjoy my I, I was born poor I ain't never had nothing man. I don't know how to act all right but the real thing is I'm just I'm just here to be me I don't care what uh, you, you think know what I am or who, or who anyone thinks I am um, at this stage of my life but um yeah I'm a pretty much of a tyrant titan yeah that's who I am